This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. The legends are true! But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny! Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, December 13th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we are going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor and chief film critic, Chris Evangelista. Hello. Chris, I'm glad to have you back on the show. It's been a little while since I've talked to you on here. Uh, I guess let's just dive right into what we've been watching. I had a chance to catch up with Tar, the new movie uh, written and directed by Todd Field that stars Kate Blanchett as a um, composer slash conductor who experiences a uh, a significant downfall um, over the course of the movie. This is uh, this is quite a movie. I, I think for me, I, I know you like this movie quite a bit, Chris. If I, mm-hmm. if I remembering correct and i want to hear more of your thoughts on it in just a second but for me this movie is one that um i had a lot more fun thinking about afterwards than i did actually watching it (laughs) if that makes i don't know i don't know if you have any movies like that in your life chris but um there's a lot going on in this thing so what did you think about this before I, i dive into further thoughts yeah, I think that's that's a good way to put it. And I think um, I need to rewatch it because I've only seen it once and I've I've like read some stuff about it. And um, I did I did like it a lot. I do think it's a little too uh, long. It's a very it's it's very deliberately paced movie. And right from the op- like the opening credits are like what would normally be the end credits. And it's scored to this like really unique song and i remember sitting in the theater and i was just like "Uh oh like this is gonna be i don't know if i'm in the mood for what this is gonna be but i eventually uh, you know warm up to it Kate blanchett is just phenomenal here um but yeah i I definitely think it's a movie that you you probably need to see twice because you know there are things i didn't catch and it's a it's a it's a weird movie man because it's Mm -hmm. like it's like sort of like a genre mashup in a way. It's like a bunch of different things at once. And it's, 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 it's just a very unique experience. And uh, I would like to watch it again at home so I could, you know, see if I can parse it a little better. It's a very, it's a very dense movie. It's got yeah. a lot of 
like layers and so yeah definitely it's like i like what you said about it being sort of a mashup because at certain points it feels like um almost like veering into horror territory not not really but there are moments where because she's a um a conductor and a composer she has a very um like her her sense of hearing is very finely attuned and so she's she's bothered by these these little noises that maybe you or I wouldn't necessarily hear. And there's also like some of that is dream sequences that are sort of woven through the movie, but not really um, hitting you over the head with the fact that they're dream sequences. It's very subtle in that way. Um, So yeah, there's just, there's a lot here and there's also like the whole, um, you know, one of the big conversations around this movie, I think has been the way that it um, sort of brings cancel culture. If you even want to use that term anymore, I feel like that term has been completely like overtaken, but uh, that idea of like somebody being, um, you know, some, somebody in a position of power uh, being uh, forced to atone for their, their actions and like actually live with the consequences of, of um, what they've done instead of um, just sort of uh, floating above these, um, these actions like they had for so, so long. This movie really addresses that head on. There's this really fantastic scene that takes out that takes place in one long continuous shot. Um, that's kind of, I think, in my mind, like the scene of the movie where the the Tar character played by Kate Blanchett is sort of interrogating a young student at uh, Juilliard about his um, thoughts about I think it's Mahler or some famous composer. Um, and the student is basically just saying like, yeah, like I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but like in real life, this guy was like a piece of trash basically. So I'm not really a big fan of his music and Tar, you know, has this conversation with him about, you know, basically like, can you separate the art from the artist? And it's just one of the rare movies that I've seen that has actually uh, addressed that idea head on. This is a conversation that we've all been having about the movie world over the past five seven years or whatever um but it's it's really interesting to see it in this context so yeah the, there's a lot going on here it's like it's way too long to even really summarize in a in a format like this on a podcast like this um but i would recommend watching it because i i didn't love the experience of watching it but the more i sit with it afterwards um like you said there's a lot of layers to parse there so uh, i'm curious if i will have the patience to watch it again uh, soon just because like you mentioned it is it is pretty long um yeah. But I would I would really recommend if you like movies and and you're okay with like being pushed a little bit and uh, and prodded because this movie is a little provocative in that way. Um, I would recommend checking out Tar, which I think is still uh, I think you can actually rent it on like Amazon and and all those the the usual suspects right now. So um, yes, I also got a chance to watch The Bishop's Wife. Have you ever seen this, Chris? The the 1947 uh, Bishop's Wife. I, I saw the remake with Denzel Washington and I think it's Whitney Houston. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the original. Yeah. So uh, the remake is called The Preacher's Wife and that came oh, out in right. 1996. Um, but The Bishop's Wife is a 1947 um, sort of rom-com um, directed by Harry Coster and stars Cary Grant and Loretta Young and uh, David Niven. And um, it's about <clears throat> this bishop and his wife who are the bishop is, is very like focused on work and trying to build a new cathedral. I think it's in New York city and uh, his marriage is suffering because he's, he's spending so much time trying to, um, you know, uh, sort of work the the congregation and, and raise money and, and do whatever he can to sort of uh, raise this monument to God and, and the, the church and uh, his marriage is, is suffering a little bit. And then Cary Grant comes down as this um, dashing debonair 
Angel, who uh, works for him as his assistant and and like ingratiates himself into his life and um, basically try, like <laughs> goes almost as far as like uh, forming a romantic relationship with this man's wife uh, and basically to kind of teach him a lesson about um, about the the power of uh, of love and like what is important in life and what you should really be focusing your time on. And it's like, Cary Grant comes pretty close to, uh, to hooking up with this woman. And I was like, man, this is, this is quite the story for 1947. So, um, yeah, I, I, I was, uh, very amused by this. I, I wonder how close I've not seen the preacher's wife. Is that, um, description, does that remind you? Is it a, uh, with the preacher's wife, a close approximation of, uh, of that movie? Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen it since I was, I was a kid, but I just remember it being like, you kind of just want, because it's Denzel Washington. You're just like, I want Denzel Washington to end up with the wife at the end. Mm-hmm, <laughs> like, yeah. it's, it's, it's you just feel it's like, how do you how are you going to? Comp- it's the same thing. Like, how are you going to compete with Cary Grant? Like, <laughs> yeah. Cary Grant shows. It's like I'm an angel. Like, ah, fuck. Like, I can't. Get <laughs> yeah, it's a, powers. Yes, yeah, it, it's a fun movie. Um, there are some some fun little like uh, visual effects moments that seemed. Um, you know, again, 1947, like they actually look pretty decent for that time. Uh, there's, he like basically uses his angel powers to do a couple things. Um, and I won't spoil those in case people wanted to check out the movie, but, um, yeah, I, I would say like, if you're not, if you, if you've only seen maybe one Cary Grant movie or something, maybe wait a little bit before you fire this one up. I, I think it's a better idea to have more of a well-rounded sense of who he is as an actor than to have this be kind of your introduction to to him because he doesn't really get that much to do in this movie dramatically. And I feel like there are other movies that I've seen where he has a lot more um, range as an actor, displays a lot more range. And this movie is yeah. like a little little frothy, a little fun, but it, it's a, it's like a Christmas movie. So that's why I watched it. I'd never seen it before. So that's The Bishop's Wife. Um, and yeah, it's, it's worth watching, but I would say like, don't use it as, um, don't let it set the bar for you for like, who Cary Grant is as a performer. So, um, Okay, before we get into what you've been watching, Chris, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but If you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Okay, Chris, what have you been watching recently? Uh, I saw Avatar, The Way of Water, and my review is currently up on SlashFilm.com. Uh, it is, of course, the the long-awaited Avatar sequel. It's been 13 years in the making, pretty much. And I liked it. Um, I, I like the first Avatar. I don't, like, love it. It's I, I like it for its action, the original movie. Like, James Cameron, no one does action like James Cameron. I love James Cameron in general. I like his, his films. 
Uh, it's not like of all his films, it's the one I would probably never revisit. Oh, wow. Uh, but, but I don't dislike it. But um, I, th- this is all the first Avatar I'm talking here. So I, I went into the second one sort of like, okay, I'm happy it's a new James Cameron movie. I don't really care that it's Avatar. And I came out sort of feeling the same way, but I also think the movie is an amazing achievement. It just looks uh, it looks occasionally incredible. However, there are a few scenes where he uses that high frame rate that was so infamous in, in the Hobbit movies. And he does it in this really weird way where he'll like blend scenes where one shot is high frame rate. And then the next is like normal 24. So it's like really very odd. And I've seen people say like they get used to it as they, as the movie went along, but I never, I could never get used to it. But beyond that, this is like a big, uh, you know, emotional uh, sweeping epic. Um, the plot focuses in on on the kids of Jake Sully, who's that character for me, and that kind of made me nervous because I don't like kids. And I was like, oh, great, a bunch of annoying kids are going to be running around. But the kids, the kid characters are really likable. Um, uh, you, you, you come to care about their storylines and, you know, everything going on. Uh, the, the, the world, you know, Pandora, the world it exists in is... There's never a sec a moment where you're like, this is fake. Like, it, it looks real to you. Like you, your mind just accepts it as real. Um, not so much with the characters. I just because I think that's just the way they're designed. The the Navi, how they're just they're like seven foot tall, blue cat people. So they're never mm-hmm. gonna look normal. <laughs> but you know the world they're in, like especially all the water. Like there's so many scenes where they're underwater, and it just this is like a a stupid way to put it, but it looks like water. It looks like real. And, you know, uh, Cameron shot it underwater for real, but he's, you know, using effects and he's using all this stuff to create the world. So it's not like, it's not like he dropped them in the actual ocean and shot them. He shot them in like water tanks and then digitally made it look like the ocean. And it, it always looks uh, spot on. And then the, the final hour of them, it's a very long movie. It's, it's a three hour movie. And I, I really felt that length, but the final hour is like a nonstop action, action sequence, just like an hour long action sequence. And you know, that's what, that's what Jim Cameron does well, man. So, uh, you know, if you're, if you didn't like the first avatar, I think you actually will enjoy this one because it's less like the first movie has a lot of setup where it's like, Mm -hmm. you got to get to Pandora and you got to become the avatar and you got to infiltrate the not and like, there's none of that. It's like, we're already in that world. We don't, we don't need that set up. Um, so I, I think this, this moves smoother. Uh, Sam Worthington, who it was like a, a block of wood in the first movie is much better here. I, I maybe 13 years. He, he took some acting lessons. I don't know. He's, <laughs> he's a lot less, uh, he's a lot better as a, as a protagonist here. So, um, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I liked The Way of Water. I didn't love it. Uh, it's, again, I don't, I don't really love the Avatar world. Like, I kind of wish Jim Cameron would, you know, he can keep making his Avatar movies, but I kind of wish he would, like, go off and make, like, a True Lies or something in between mm-hmm. because that's really what I want him to do. But, uh, you know, if you've been if you've been clamoring for some Cameron, you're, you're in for a, <laughs> a treat here. Okay, so did you see it in 3D? I did, and the 3D looked really good. I'm, I'm, I do not like 3D. I hated how after the first Avatar came out, like everything was like, 
we got to convert everything to 3D because I, I don't give a shit. But I will admit the 3D looks really good here. There's There was like, I'm like embarrassed to say there's like, there was like two or three scenes where something like floats in front of the camera and I almost like raised my hand because I was like, oh, that must be in the theater floating in front of my face. <laughs> and I was wow. like, no, I'm an idiot. This is a movie. But so, you know, that's, that's really impressive. So uh, I, I kind of want to see it again normal like without 3d and definitely without the high frame rate which just does not work at all for me so i am curious to like maybe when it comes on a uh, blu-ray or whatever i'll get i don't think i'll probably go back to the theater to see it just because it's mm-hmm. so fucking long but whenever <laughs> I, I i definitely want to give it another chance without the the high frame rate and everything yeah, I was wondering about that. I was just looking up while you're talking uh, at my local AMC because I think I'm going to go see it on on Thursday night after work. And there's a there's a 3D show and just a digital show, but there's no way to uh, opt out of the high frame rate thing. It seems like that's like baked into it, and there's no way around that because I I'd re- heard you know similar uh, reactions where people were like, ah, this this high frame rate thing really just sort of takes me out of the immersion of the movie. Um, so I was, I was hoping there, there would be a way to get around that, but it doesn't appear at least at an AMC near me. It doesn't look like there's a, an option for that. So uh, I guess that's something that people will have to contend with on their own. But um, yeah, I, I'm curious, Chris, like you said that the first avatar is probably not one that you would uh, want to go back and, and revisit out of all of Cameron's filmography. You just said, you know, maybe you'll fire this one up on Blu-ray or something. Where would you rank this approximately? You don't have to give me like a numbered ranking, but just sort of is this like uh, mid-tier Cameron, upper tier, you know, bottom of the the upper tier? Like, what would you say? I mean, on a technical level, it's probably like upper technical, but from like a storytelling perspective, it's probably near sort of the bottom. Like, I think this has a better story than the first movie. The first movie is basically just, you know, Pocahontas slash... uh, dances with wolves but in space and this <laughs> this feels like it ha- it's more of its own thing instead of just like let's take that so it has a, a better story but it's not i know i know james Cameron can do better so i guess yeah. that's how I'm it. okay last question before we move on uh, are you excited now about avatar 3 yeah you know i i will see i was excited to see this just because i'm excited that jim cameron is out there doing his thing and you know, he's one of those few filmmakers who can do whatever the hell he wants. And I kind of, I kind of respect that. And I kind of, am always looking forward to see what he's doing. And, uh, they definitely have a lot of, unlike the first movie, this has like a lot of setup, not a lot, but uh, there's definitely set up for, for things to come. So I am actually curious to see where he goes from here because, you know, the, the you know, Pandora, the, that world is, is it's a big world they can keep exploring. So I kind of, I kind of want him to like go all over, like just keep making spots of that globe until he covers the entire planet. And then it's yeah. like, all right, we're done. Uh, Avatar three, only desert scenes. Yeah. I'm sure that's what, and then like the, you can go to the mountains or something or just like get some snow in there, you know? It's, it's yeah. Okay. Excellent. All right. Uh, you also had a chance to see violent night, the new movie directed by uh, Tommy Wercola that stars David Harbour as Santa Claus. What did you think about this one? You know, this was all right. Um, first, I just want to say that I like Tommy Ricola's other movie, Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters. And I'm like the only one who likes that movie. <laughs> but um, this this was okay. It just, David Harbour is great. He's he's like, if he weren't in this, it wouldn't work at all for me. But he's he does a really good job playing this like sad sack Santa who used to be like a Viking warrior or whatever. And I, I like that, but... 
the plot is literally just it's like die hard but in a house and it's there's like a little like home alone thrown in it and they like directly recreate stuff from home alone okay i guess because they were like well they're gonna accuse us of this so let's just be blatant about it but mm-hmm. Like no one else is operating on the level that David Harbour is operating in here. Even like John Linguizamo, who, you know, I don't dislike him, but he seems like really bored as like the villain. And yeah. I just felt like, like they really could have found someone better to, to play the head villain of the movie. Cause he just never seems that into the role. And the the rest of the, like the movie's about like a family that gets taken hostage on Christmas Eve. And like, I didn't care about any of them. I was like, I don't care about these people. Give me more, Santa murdering people. Like I don't give a shit what happens to any of them. So I, 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 you know, I didn't hate it. It's just that when it was over, I was just like, well, I probably could have not seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I actually hated this movie um, (laughs) because like nothing really worked for me. And, and David, David Harbour worked, but only in moments, the script that he's given here is just so bad. It's so, um, like derivative and like trying to be cute and trying to be funny. And to me, none of the jokes landed. I, I maybe if you are on a different wavelength in terms or, or like on this movie's wavelength in terms of its humor, I could understand, you know, somebody, somebody coming out of that and being like, Oh, that was really fun. Um, which is what I was hoping to experience with this movie. I, I knew it wasn't going to be the Godfather or whatever, but like I was hoping to have fun with it. But I thought that, that, None of the humor worked. I thought the acting across the board, except for little flickers of moments from David Harbour, was pretty atrocious. Like John Leguizamo was, I thought, pretty good in the menu, like uh, yeah. last month or something. And seeing him here, I was like, holy shit, this is like one of the worst, uh, like main villain performances in any movie that I can remember. Like this is really, really awful. No, it's just. If you're going to make a movie like this, you should have a memorable villain. Like if you're going to rip off Die Hard, Die Hard is one of the most memorable villains of all time. Like yeah. why, why just have this guy who's just like, I don't like Christmas. Like this is stupid. Like, <laughs> And he just seems so not interested in the part. Like, like, do you, are you, are you like paying attention, John Linguizamo? Or are you just like cashing a check or something? Like it just seemed yeah. like he wanted to get his check and get out of the movie as soon as possible. Yeah. And the family that you mentioned, like all of them are terrible, the, especially the extended family, like Beverly D'Angelo, who obviously starred in Christmas Vacation and 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 the vacation movies. And like, that's the, the movie's little like wink to the audience. Like, hey, we have some like Christmas movie royalty in this movie. And she plays this really like high powered, rich person um, who is like the, the matriarch of this family. And she just kind of like is there and like all the other people around her are just like, actively bad actors i think <laughs> with the, maybe yeah. maybe they're great in other things but like uh this script just does nobody any favors like all of the one-liners there's so many one-liners in this movie where they're like trying to be clever with like santa claus is coming to town and like <laughs> none of it's funny and like none of it works at all yeah. so uh man i was i was very very disappointed in this oh and the, the action too that's the the last thing and i want to mention like the this is from um uh, David Leach and Kelly McCormick produced this movie and it's from uh, 87 North, which is their production company. The Leach is the guy who co-directed the first John Wick and has directed you know, uh, Deadpool 2 and Hobbs and Shaw. And he's like sort of known as like this action guy, I think Bullet Train recently. Um, yeah. And so this movie is like supposed to be, you know, this like John Wick-esque uh, action stuff with, with Santa. And 
some of it works okay. Like David Harbour swinging a hammer around, just like bashing guys in the chest or whatever. But like there's, there's, it's, it all kind of feels like we've seen it before. And I wonder if like we're, we're bumping up against the ceiling of what is possible with that, like, um, I don't know what you want to call it, that like gun foo or whatever, like the, the John Wickification of action movies. Like, because yeah. I didn't, I didn't particularly care for nobody that much because for the same reason I thought Bob Odenkirk was good, but like the, the action, which is supposed to be the, the big draw of the movie, it just kind of felt like uh rote at this point. Like, all right, yeah, we've, we've seen this. What, what do you think about like, I guess the current state of, of action in Hollywood right now? Yeah. It's weird. I think like, I feel like that that like that style of action is is definitely it's like quote unquote realistic, but I don't know if I any I really like want that anymore. Like I don't know. I guess it depends on the project. Like I want to see that in the John Wick movies because that fits in that world. But I think the problem is they keep trying to apply that same fighting style to a bunch of different worlds, and it doesn't work. Like it works in the John Wick world because that's such like a hyper stylized. Uh, you know, it's got its own mythology and all this mm-hmm. stuff. Like, you throw that into it's Santa Claus. It's like, why, why is Santa Claus fighting like this? Like, I don't, I don't need like a reason really exactly, but it just, it, it's hard to reconcile that type. Like, I don't know. And like, I also feel like RRR has like ruined every action movie for me because <laughs> the action in that is so like over the top and crazy and, and entertaining and energetic. And now when I watch like Hollywood action, I mean, I, I did already to begin with, but it's like more, more so now that you're just like, man, these movies are not, these, this action could be so much more entertaining if they threw some CGI tigers in here or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what Violent Night needed was yeah. Santa riding on some CGI tiger. I mean, that would be an amazingly better movie if Santa was just like, I got a CGI tiger and he hops on it. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. There was like no, no reindeer action. Reindeer could have gotten into the fight. That yeah, been see, something, like, but <laughs> that's really, you didn't really do enough with the, the Santa of it all. It's just like, he's Santa. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like I kind of like that flat, like that they, they have the flashback where they, imply that he used to be like a Viking or whatever. And I was like, Oh, that's a neat idea, but they don't like do anything else with it. It's just there. It's like, all right. Like, yeah. I, I feel like this, um, this premise had potential, but like you needed someone like, um, like Lord and Miller or maybe even the guys that did, uh, the, the, um, weird, the Al Yankovic story, you know, people who like, uh, are more familiar with, with genre conventions and things like that, um, to be able to sort of, take this up a notch because it, it felt like there was yeah. a lot left on the table in terms of opportunity for you need, for you need, you need a, someone who knows how to actually be funny and no one apparently no one involved with this movie knows, knows that yeah yeah okay so speaking of of comedy uh adult swim the the uh famous channel it's been around for a long time now um I, surprise released a uh a secret movie that nobody really knew about recently um and you you watched it chris tell me about this yeah, it's 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 called the Adult Swim Yule Log, and they did a really good job uh, keeping this under wraps and making everyone think it was just going to actually be a Yule Log, and like maybe Rick and Morty would show, you know, like something like that because it's Adult Swim, and it turns out it's actually like a whole movie, and it starts off as you know the Yule Log, the TV Yule Log, you know, a fireplace burning, and then stuff starts to happen, and the camera pans back, and it becomes a, like a whole feature length horror movie and uh 
I, you know, I mad respect for, for tricks like that. I'm all, I'm all for filmmakers pulling tricks like that, but I also feel like this is like, it's too long. Like it could have been an hour. And the fact that it goes on for an hour and 30 minutes, like by the time it got to like pass an hour, I was like, okay, <laughs> like I, yeah. I, I, I get it. Um, but I really dug the commitment to the bit, I guess is what I'm saying. I, lo- I really like that they went all in on, on making this really messed up <laughs> kind of wacky horror movie. I guess I wanted it to be a little wackier because it's from the guy who did uh, too many cooks, which is, you know, just crazy and keeps escalating and gets weirder and weirder. And I guess I kind of was hoping this would be sort of like that tone wise. And it's not really like occasionally it is, but Eh, I, I wanted something a bit more, I guess is what I'm saying. I expected yeah. more from the Adult Swim Yule Log. <laughs> well, when you put it like that, it sounds silly, but <laughs> but I but I actually agree. I, I had a chance to watch this too, um, and and we interviewed Casper Kelly, the the um, I think writer and director, the the Too Many Cooks guy uh, on Slash Film. So I, I checked this out, and um, I, I think it's just like a classic case of maybe biting off a little bit more than you can chew for a first feature. Um, It's clear that he has like a lot of ambition and a lot of ideas that he wanted to uh, chew on in this thing. And it kind of felt like he was just like, okay, if I never get the chance to make any other movie, I want to put everything in here. Um, Like there's, there's all sorts of stuff about like systemic racism and like, um, you know, class issues and like all these like really big ideas that are packed in and, and treated like fairly seriously in a uh, a movie that also features. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of something stupid that happens in, the mo- in this movie without really giving away a big spoiler or anything, uh, but just like really really goofy stuff as well. Like okay, so here's an example: like a character like crawls through a fireplace and ends up in like a, a Lynchian. Um, like nether region. And there's a guy who talks like Colonel Sanders who who like guides him through the spirit world, for for example. So like that happens, but also they're talking about, you know, um, like lynching black people in this, in this uh, cabin town or whatever, like this little uh, vacation getaway community. Um, The log itself in the, in the fire is like from a tree that was used to like lynch people. And it's like, what does that have to do with the, the guy in the fireplace. It's like, it's too episodic, I guess. It's like, like you said, he's packing all these goddamn ideas in here and they don't all connect. And that's, that's part of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, like you, I, I sort of admire the, um, the, the swing of it. Like I, I appreciate the big swing nature of it. I just didn't think it, it fully connected. There are some stuff that, that there's some moments that worked pretty well for me. And I thought that the the performances were like generally pretty good. Um, but yeah, it kind of, it drags out a little bit, but um, I don't know. I mean, like if you're looking for a little bit, like a, another dose of that uh, crazy, like you have no idea where this is going to go kind of thing uh, that too many cooks provided, then uh, the adult swim Yule log might be worth watching. I just, uh, yeah, like you, it, it sounds like we wanted just like a little bit more, um, I don't know, thematic coherence or something from it. So uh, I'm, I'm curious if Casper um, Kelly gets a chance to actually direct like a quote unquote real movie. I mean, this is a real movie. It's a feature. It's 90 minutes long. Yeah. Um, but like something more traditional, um, like what that would look like, because he's such a uh, 
you know, he seems like a, a filmmaker from like the ADD generation or something where he's just like, he can't, he can't possibly um, stay on one thing for, for too long because he's like so interested in this broad swath of, of ideas. And like, I, I would be curious to see what kind of um, creativity he could bring to a project that is a little bit more focused. So uh, yeah. we'll see if, if that happens, but um, they should just yeah, like give him his own TV show. Cause like, I feel like that is what he needs because he could have a different story. Every, let me get like an yeah. anthology show or something like that seems like the ideal format for him. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. Okay. You hear that adult swim? That's what, <laughs> that's yeah. what we need. Um, all right. I'm going to put a link to our interview with Casper Kelly, and I'm going to put a link to uh, your review of Avatar The Way of Water in the show notes so people can check that out. I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode. You can find more about a lot of the stuff that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com. SlashFilmDaily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter. There's a link to that in the show notes as well. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.